So when I was asked to do this, um, I basically just took what, so to give you, give you a glimpse into my life, I, I drive a log truck and I'm in and out of the truck and I listen to a lot of Christian radio and, but I don't always get to hear like complete sermons, even though they're only a half hour long. And so at the time that, that Aaron had called me and asked, I was on a job where I was basically shuttling logs to the top of the hill because I had to chain the truck up with tire chains and so I was literally driving like two miles at a time two miles in load load logs two miles out so I I don't even know who to give credit to for the little seed that got planted um, I know it was on it was during Chip Ingram's time slot but it wasn't Chip Ingram I've listened to him enough to know his voice and this was not Chip but I was challenged, and I guess, you know, rather than probably the normal person just would say, well, get the Chip Ingram app, and you can listen to that message whenever you want. But I, I usually just tend to take a different road when I'm something piques my interest, and then I go, well, hopefully this guy was preaching from God's Word, so I ought to be able to dig it out on my own. And so I may have gone a totally different direction than what uh, he was intending. I didn't hear his, his entire lesson. But what piqued my interest was his comparison of our relationship with God. So the comparison between that and marriage. And... He basically said that, because I remember as a kid, learning words that are, I guess, more church-type words, like idolatry is not something I use in my everyday life, but it's something you hear in church, it's something you read in the Bible. And, and then the word adultery, which seems like it's too close to idolatry, like that was confusing as a kid to keep them separate. But in the context of our spiritual relationship with God, those two words are virtually interchangeable. Because we're taught in the Ten Commandments that we're to have no other gods before him. And so basically to have anything else that comes between us and God is the same in a spiritual sense as cheating on our spouse. And so that's what really challenged me. And as I'm driving around, obviously I can't look up scriptures and so forth, but my mind's going through that and it's like, well, so yeah, what changes when, I mean, many of you here are married and some of you aren't yet, but hope to be, and some of you haven't even given that any thought and that's all right, you know. Um, but, what changes when we reach that point where we say that, that this is the person that we want to get married to, a lot of things change in our lives. Where as a, as a single person, what I do, the decisions I make, whether they're financial or my, my career choice, all of that is, is just, it basically impacts me. But when I enter into marriage, it impacts us. You know, we, we both live out of that checkbook. We, we both 
um, whether it be blessings or consequences of decisions that are made, it impacts both of us and it impacts our entire family. And so we have to change our thinking about how we, how we act and how we decide things, as well as the fact that things I used to be able to do, like going to church and piano player there is kind of cute and, you know, whatever. Well, that one I ended up married to. But, you know, there are other ones that you have those thoughts about. You go, well, that's a really nice person. And maybe you even, maybe you even pursue some things. Maybe you go out on, you know, for dinner or something like that. And that's acceptable. Because you're not committed to your spouse. It was. So, I, I don't know. Technical difficulties, I guess. But um, I, I see people in the back nodding, so I, I, hopefully they're not nodding off. But uh, Cody at least can hear me, and he's in the back row. So hopefully, hopefully I'm loud enough. Um, but so, once I'm married... I can't just look at somebody and say, well, hey, that's somebody that I would be interested in a relationship with because I have my relationship. And so we need to cultivate that and nurture that. And I can't have my eyes elsewhere. I can still be friends with some women, but it should be in the context of, you know, and and I have those you know, women in my life that I would consider friends, but my wife has full knowledge of that. And she's a part of that even, and we go to things together. And in that context, that's acceptable. But to go to a candlelight dinner with that woman is, no, you know, that's, that's off limits. And so what I hope to show through some scriptures that I, that I found and some examples, that I think that's the type of relationship God wants with us is that every aspect of our life is affected. He doesn't just get plugged into a few slots here and there, like Sunday morning. And even even everything you do in your relationship with God, and we kind of touched on this yesterday morning as far as our prayer life, would your wife be happy with 30 seconds before each meal and it's always the same thing? If that was the level of communication that you and your wife had, would she think that that was... And, and I apologize for saying your wife because I'm the husband. Um, but the same goes for the women. Would your husband be happy if all you ever said to him was uttered these same few words and then you go on with your day? And that's the only level of connectedness that you have with your with your human spouse but I think we do that with God a lot we give him a couple hours on Sunday morning maybe somewhere during the week an hour here or there and a few words at mealtime uh, hopefully there's a lot more than that but we can fall into that trap where it's it's just little snippets of time so let's. Um, I I I won't uh, I won't read all of the scriptures because some of the stories are extremely familiar to us. 
Um, but I will read some of the scriptures. And some of them are actually even, to me anyways, they were kind of shocking um, and, and even confusing. So let's look first at, in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. And in verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. So this is Jesus. If you don't happen to have a red-letter edition, this is Jesus speaking now in verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also... He cannot be my disciple. Well, that in and of itself cuts pretty contrary to a lot of the teachings of the Bible about honoring your father and mother and loving your wife, um, children, you know. So, first of all, I think it should be noted that the word that's translated here for hate would probably be better translated as love less, not actual hatred towards them. Okay, so that clarifies some of it as to how you could possibly hate. So don't, don't go home and say, well, Mom, Kyle at church said I'm supposed to hate you, so I hate you. Okay, so you kids don't hate your mother in that sense. But in terms of compared to your relationship with Jesus Christ... Your relationship with your mom, your dad, even your spouse or your children is as if it was nothing. It's meaningless compared comparatively because of your relationship to Christ. It does not, like I said, it does not give us license to hate our mom and dad and hate our kids and hate our spouses. So please do not misinterpret um, you know, what I... What, what Jesus is saying. Those are Jesus' words, but like I said. Um, and then flipping over a few pages to Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. And this one is fairly familiar, but I kind of wanted to read through this one. So starting in verse 18, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. And knowest, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said... All these have I kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. 
And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, and in the world to come, life everlasting. So, I wanted to read that last part because... He kind of laid one specific thing on this rich ruler was to give up his wealth, was to sell all that he had and to give it to the poor. And, and yet later on it talks about leaving a house, leaving your parents, leaving your brother, and your wife, your children. And, and again, I'm not advocating for leaving your wives, so don't, don't take it that way. What I believe he's speaking to is, again, not hating them, but that compared to the relationship and the importance that your relationship with Jesus and your following of Jesus has to be at a foundational level in your life. It doesn't get plugged in higher up in certain time slots and just fit with everything else you're doing. What needs to happen is that you go back to like ground zero and and dig a new foundation and start a new life, a totally new life. And yes, if, if this is happening when you're already married, you still have your wife and you still have your children and you may still have your house and God does not always require us to sell all that we have and give it to the poor. But I believe in this case, Jesus knew this man's heart and he knew that he was tied to his position and his wealth and that they were going to be a stumbling block. And until he was willing to give them up, they would always come between him and Jesus. And so some other examples that we'll just go through because I think they are familiar from the Old Testament, you know, we, we can think of Abraham and we can think how strange it would be to be requested that you sacrifice your own son. And we know that God didn't require him to actually commit the sacrifice, but that he was willing and he showed his willingness. Um, we heard, for those of you who were here last week, Um, Alvin spoke from Esther and we saw her willingness after prayer and fasting 
she was willing to give up her own life if that's what it meant because to go before the king even though she was the queen for her not being called for and she could have given up her own life to go before and make a request and she was willing to do that um the classic example from the old testament probably is job and we think of all of the things that god allowed satan to strip him of his possessions his family his health um and yet he was expected and and did remain true to his belief in god and his trust in god and we see that god ends up restoring you know even even more than what he may have had before so the um this comparison of all these things that we have our eyes on the world and as humans it's easy to get sucked into materialism um, or the entertainment or the um, there's there's any number of things and for each one of us it may be different and I think that's why we see like this rich ruler in, in Luke 18 we see him being asked to give up all that he has financially which I would tend to believe would probably give up his position of being a ruler too because you wouldn't be in a ruling class if you're financially a, like a peasant um, so I, I believe that in his case that was his stumbling block whereas to, to somebody else it may be something else that God asks you and so what I would challenge you as I've been challenged myself is to ask myself what is it and it may be a long list or it may only be a couple of things but what is it in this world that still comes between me and my relationship with God because those things you know when you think about giving up your um, your family or your wife and all of that sounds very foreign but what I believe happens is that when you give that up and then God can be directly in the proper relationship with you is that then and only then can I be the husband that I need to be I can't do it on my own strength but if I'm holding back my family or if I'm holding back and saying well that's that's business that's that's my that's my career that's my job but if even in that if God comes first doesn't it stand to reason that I'll be the, the best log truck driver that my boss has ever had if I'm doing it as a follower of Christ? Not to make Darren Williamson happy, but to make God happy. And if I'm living as a husband, not to please Emily, as nice as that might be for her, but if I'm doing it to please God, and she, in turn, is living to please God. We'll have a marriage that, that as humans, we can't even fathom. So, but by contrast, 
when we don't get it right, um, things get pretty things get pretty ugly. And um, this comparison and this this viewing it as a relationship like a marriage um, is actually alluded to in in some ways that Scripture teach. And so in Ezekiel chapter 16, and it's actually, to me, when I was reading through it, it's actually a pretty painful passage to read about the unfaithfulness of Jerusalem. And it's not, I don't believe that it's an unfaithfulness in terms of human adultery. It's talking about how God's chosen people had turned their back on him how they had accepted the gods of the surrounding nations. And when we get down to verse 35, it says, Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Because thy filthiness was poured out, and thy nakedness discovered through thy whoredoms with thy lovers, and with all the idols of thy abominations, and by the blood of thy children which thou didst give unto them, behold therefore I will gather all thy lovers with whom thou hast taken pleasure. And, and it goes on, and it's, those aren't necessarily words that we think of as being like church words um, in, in terms of a harlot or whoredoms and so forth, but... The comparison is there, and that's what I believe God is saying is, I created mankind for that most intimate relationship. And that's why the comparison to a husband and wife is so fitting, is because God created us for that level of intimacy. When you think of the Garden of Eden, and you think of Adam and Eve being able to just walk in the garden and share with their creator, God. Um, and what they threw away, what they lost, when they disobeyed, sin entered the world, and now we have a world around us that's full of sin, it's controlled by Satan, and when we choose those things, it's the same as choosing to eat that forbidden fruit and to pursue whatever it is in this world that distracts us and comes between us and our Creator. And so I, I, think, the, I think that comparison to a marriage, to me, was, was helpful in understanding what God really wants from me in terms of my relationship and that everything that I do and how much time do I actually give him if I put that much effort into my human marriage I probably wouldn't have a wife to be honest at times in my life if I was as disconnected from Emily as I have been at times from God. And if I gave that little mind to her and what she wanted and our relationship together, 
you know, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't still be a couple. We wouldn't we wouldn't have a family. It would just fly apart. And so that's why, like I said, when we see the examples and we see the the terminologies there, um, I, I think it's a for me, anyways. I, I hope that's helpful for you. I hope I'm expressing it in a way that you can hear that I believe that's the type of intimate relationship God wants with us, and that it actually it's not it's not that God is just first place in my life. It's that spiritually speaking, He's my everything. In the same way that Emily can't just be my number one girl. Because that's not going to fly at the Kerr household. If I have a few other ones, she has to be my everything in terms of marriage. Well, in terms of God, God doesn't want to just be your favorite God, but sometimes over here, the God of money or materialism, or the God of the entertainment, or the God of you name it, are still still have themselves tethered to your heart. He wants complete... And, and do we ever attain that? I'm not sure that it's humanly possible. But that's the goal. That's what we strive for. So, um, a couple other places that I think um, help shed some light on this would be from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world pass oh, read seventeen two. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So it's just another example of the things of the world versus the Father. Um, James uh, James. James 4, 1 through, uh, I guess we'll read all the way to 10. James 4, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and could not obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, and that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 
Do ye think that the scriptures saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God, res God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So again, here in the New Testament, we see in verse 4 that uh, pursuing these lusts of the world and so forth are, are compared to adulterers and adulteresses. And that in humbling ourselves and submitting to God is where we'll be lifted up and where we can restore that right relationship with him. So... And then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek these things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So, our lives, in a human sense, the things that we would have pursued, the things we would have gone after, the, the sinful and the, and the lusts of this world, are to be dead, and they're to be hid in Christ. And that then we'll be um, raised up with Him in the end. And so, like I said, that's the main gist of what I was able to, to dig out was that there are a lot of comparisons in Scripture and um, between our relationship with God and our relationships in a husband and wife and how they're supposed to work. And I think it's just, for me, it was helpful to think of those things because I don't, I don't often think of it as if I'm... If I'm becoming too worldly, I don't think of it as like cheating on God somehow. But I think the reality of it is that that's what I'm doing. Only the person that's hurt by that is not really God. It's me. I'm cheating myself too. I'm cheating myself out of the relationship that I should have with him, which in turn cheats every aspect of my life because I'm not as connected to him as I should be. I'm not getting the blessings from him that I should, could be receiving. And relationships suffer and, and all, all, of, all of it starts to crumble. And that's why I know for myself at times in my life, um, you know, God got plugged in 
higher up, a higher rung on the ladder, so to speak, and it needs to be a foundational change, and then it needs to come from the bottom up, and it permeates the entirety of our lives instead of a few time slots here and there, and lip service only at times, and, and all of those things that happen. So, um, I guess uh, that's pretty much what I have for this morning. I would ask the worship team to come back up. I talked to Joe about, um, I, I feel like he probably had my phone tapped uh, the last couple of weeks or something. No, actually, I believe it was the Spirit um, at work because I didn't tell him what songs to sing. Uh, there was no communication about what I was going to be preaching on or anything like that. And I guess I was blown away when I came in this morning and... Um, Actually, at least the first couple of selections, and uh, maybe maybe more than that, because somebody had to go to the trailer, and um, so I had to go with him. And um, but it is it is amazing to see how pieces fall into place. And so as they're coming up, I will uh, offer you one last quote that I believe shows. Um, a person, and I don't know, I didn't study extensively, but at least in the, in the wording of his quote, um, David Livingston, that, which was uh, during the 1800s, was a missionary and explorer in Africa. And he said, God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. And I think if we would be even remotely successful at getting to that point, that we could say that, um, that God was that important in our life and was we were willing to sever ties with anything else that was getting between us and God. Um, all of those other relationships would be restored and be a whole lot better. Um, so, go ahead and sing a song in closing. eternity we're going to realize <clears throat> what we give up in exchange for this world's good when we can see this world's goods when we can see Jesus face to face we're going to sing Jesus all for Jesus again oh we don't have a keyboard player that's okay <laughs> just join with us and sing Jesus Jesus, all our 
Jesus.